Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. And now we'll go straight to our main message. The cross was so hated by individuals at the Church of Corinth, that is, outside of the Church of Corinth, because it didn't fit into human wisdom. It was not a part of the intellectual thinking of these people. It was very much despised. And the seeking after signs was a very popular thing, extremely popular for the Jews. The seeking after wisdom was another very popular thing for the Greeks. But the preaching of the cross was absolutely opposite of their frame of reference. They really disregarded it with complete disrespect. And Paul realizes how serious they are about despising that message. So here's a world filled with the excitement of human wisdom, filled with the excitement of signs and wonders, and here comes a preacher preaching on the cross. Well, for any age, seems to always be the same. The preaching of the cross is a very ridiculous thing. I mean, the blood of Jesus Christ is despised and hated. The fact that God would have a human, certainly his own son, shed his blood on a tree is ignominious. It is absolutely despicable in the minds of those that prided themselves for their intelligence and intellect. And the cross here is so rejected by those that influence the church at Corinth that they do not want to deal with it. It's so hated by their city, by the folks in their community, that they do not want to deal with it. Martin Luther said that the theology of the cross is the theology of light. Eric Sauer, the great German scholar, said the hatred of the Pharisees brought Christ to the cross. The execution of Jesus was the greatest judicial murder in the history of the world. It was the most cowardly murder of an ambassador, the foulest outrage that rebels at any time committed against a kind of father of their fatherland. What did God do? Well, he has turned the devilish, mean rebellion against his person into an atonement for salvation of these rebels. He's answered the blow on his holy face with a kiss of reconciling love. And that's what the cross says. They brought extreme wickedness against him, and the wickedness was extreme. But he wrought the extremeness of love and kindness toward them and toward us. And it's a beautiful picture of the cross, the redemptive point or the turning point of human history. Now, for the cross is to them that are constantly perishing, the Word of God says, constantly perishing. They are always perishing. Many people have said that the cross is a greater event than the resurrection. They call the cross the victory and the resurrection the triumph. I don't think you can separate the two personally. 
Even though the triumph will always follow the victory, the victory is considered by many scholars to be the greatest ever at the cross. The resurrection is the public display of the victory and the triumph of the crucified one. But the victory itself was complete when Jesus said, It is finished. Now just picture in your thinking what it means when there are many words said about Jesus on radio or television or books that are written about him and they bring up God and they even bring up Jesus Christ and they do it very well and they'll give a nice devotional message and close the message with and this is done through Jesus Christ and for those that know him they understand what the speaker means but on some radio programs or television programs you have to listen for ages and ages, and you do not hear the cross mentioned. Why is it? Some very notable, reputable people, probably are born-again preachers, that do not bring the cross into their message. Perhaps they assume we understand it. Perhaps they assume that we believe that they know it and believe it themselves. But... The truth of the matter is, the cross has to be associated with the person of Jesus Christ to bring the full strength and meaning of the message into a personal understanding. I mean, if Jesus Christ is not associated with the cross and the listener has to do much assuming pertaining to it, then even though the speaker may not believe that, he could be a historical example or a good man only that lived a very noble, virtuous life. Therefore, the cross is necessary. And if it isn't presented, then it leaves out Christ as a singular, unique Savior, as one who personally gave his life in sacrifice. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter in the 19th verse, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. In other words, you may have heard volumes from men and women who speak very well in human wisdom. And they do an outstanding job in philosophy, in human thought, in their vocabulary. And here's the Holy Spirit saying through the Apostle Paul, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. It is a quote, actually, from Isaiah 29:14b. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of the prudent shall be hid. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings to search out a matter. Now, here's a promise from God, and everyone that rejects Jesus Christ has a promise. Everyone that turns down the gospel and goes negative toward it is living with a promise. They live with a promise from God. See, they're not left without a promise. 
And we'll go out and win them and do everything we can to evangelize them on the streets, and in their homes, through radio, television, through third world missions, foreign missions. We'll do everything we can to minister to them. But if they reject the gospel of love, the gospel of grace, whereby their sins have already been paid for, and they reject the Savior, Remember, you have a promise, and you're counting upon it. They have a promise, and they are not counting upon it. Sad, but it really is true. You see, God, because of his love and faithfulness and justice, does not leave a single person without a promise. If you backslide and I backslide, I have a promise. Now, I can claim the promise that he'll never leave me and forsake me, and that's correct. But I have another promise. I'm going to get it real good. <laughs> so everything you do, you just relate what you do to the promises of God. When you give the gospel to somebody that's unsaved, you're giving them one of God's promises. If you accept Christ, you go to heaven. But maybe it isn't good news to give them the second part of that promise. If you reject Christ, you perish forever in hell. Did you know that God has given you a, you a promise forever. Honestly, he has. You don't tell him about the indicative mood, the dogmatic mood of reality. But you're, you're promising them something from an indicative mood from God. Did anyone ever tell you that God made you a promise? God made me a promise, yes. By the way, this is one of my several approaches in witnessing. You might want to use it. Might not. Have you ever heard God gives you a promise? You must be crazy. God doesn't give me a promise. Yes, he does. He does. See, listen. 2,000 years ago on the cross, he personally paid for all of your personal sins. Every one of them. Well, I've heard of that. No, 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 no. It's personal. He paid for your personal sins, a fantastic way of witnessing, because he personally loves you. And the Bible gives you a promise. Now, let me put it this way. What is your name, sir? My name is Harold. All right. This is what the word of God says. Harold, if you believe on my son, Harold, you shall have everlasting life. And Harold, your sins will be forgiven. And Harold, I'll remember your sins no more. And Harold, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. And Harold, I'll take you to heaven. Isn't that beautiful? And I'm not exaggerating. That's what the Word of God says dogmatically. Well, I don't want the gospel. Then Harold, just before I leave, and I'm going to be gone in just a moment, <laughs> there is another promise that I want to leave with you. It isn't anything to do with me. It's from God. If you, Harold, reject eternal life and the grace of God, inasmuch as he paid for all of your sins, Harold, on Calvary, God promises you that you'll perish forever in hell. And I will not take up any more of your time, sir. <laughs> you see, you haven't been obnoxious. You really have not been crude at all. Your words were used in tenderness. 
you, your emphasis was upon salvation. Your emphasis was on forgiveness and grace and love. You tucked the other in at the end. Just in case the Holy Spirit wants to do a mighty work of conviction when you leave Harold. I've shared with some of the folks that the first tract that was ever given to me was given by a Baptist when I was sawing wood with the old table saws outdoors. And I was angry because he wouldn't help me saw the wood. I thought he should at least lift up a stick and be courteous. We were reared up that way. You work hard. You don't stand around and let other people work. But he gave me the track, and I was very angry at it. And I tuned in. The, uh, I had the Red Sox ball game on, losing as always. <laughs> and just to be obnoxious, which was very unkind, I turned up the ball game, blasting loud. Had it up loud anyway, but turned it up blasting loud. But when this strange pastor left that looked like he was some saint didn't act manly enough to suit me he acted kind of well well anyway I took the track to the outhouse and that's what we had in those days an outhouse and read it of all things being a Baptist the track was on hell and although being a member of a very proud family it scared me inside because something said is true. <laughs> I think it was the Holy Spirit. And no matter how much you would say, I'm a Unitarian, I don't even believe in the hell. And it's fine to say that, but when you read it and the Bible's quoted, it's a strange feeling. What if he's right? So that was one of the worst trips to the outhouse that I'd had in years. <laughs> so what he had thought was a very bad interview with me behind the scenes through Jesus Christ was a very successful one. I got more convicted that day than I ever want to get convicted, I'll tell you frankly. I read that over a second or third time before it was dismissed and you know where. <laughs> well, these are just true stories. But I think this policy of witnessing is a very practical policy. You don't have to go to outhouses, but the, the principle is very practical. You give them the good news, you emphasize the good news, you do it kindly, lovingly, graciously. But if they reject the good news, you just leave the other side with them to let them know that until they receive the promise of eternal life, which is a gift from God, they, they are living under a promise of eternity in hell. So, let's say, I leave you with this, that you'll always have one of two of God's promises. He either promises you go to heaven, and if you reject his loving grace, remember, you still have the other promise, so you can enjoy it. You will not enjoy it, but that will be fulfilled too. And don't tell me that the Holy Spirit wouldn't use that for consideration, Unitarian or not. So, Paul says... In 1 Corinthians, the 19th chapter, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Sophia here is the word for wisdom. It's human wisdom in the natural sphere in its highest and noblest sense. Aristotle said it was theoretical, theological. And we said yesterday, I believe, that the word phosuni is more practical, P-H-R-O-N, is more practical for Sunni. And Sunnisists 
brings the two together, the practical with the theological, with the mental, and implements it. The wisdom of the wise, the wise is so fraught a noun in the genitive case by the so-called wise men, Ryan says we're actually learned, natural intelligence. Vine says our natural intelligence sends more people to hell than anything else. It is the curse of this century. And Daniel 12.3 says knowledge shall increase. Knowledge shall increase. As knowledge increases and Jesus Christ is left out and the cross is left out, we have a tremendous means and support for those that do not want Calvary. When it comes to these individuals who have a very high opinion of themselves, Paul is really saying, where are they pertaining to real truth? It's interesting. You know, he could say, he could have said, if you think you know so much, where are you pertaining to the cross? If you're so successful, where are you in relationship to Calvary? Which is a central theme of divine success. Where are you in life's real thinking arena? If you think you're eloquent and have a tremendous command of speech, where are you pertaining to speaking the truth? So you may be very admirable in many areas, but where are you pertaining to life? So they who were so equipped in the letter of the word in the law prevented true access to God in Luke 11:52. You know that's a very interesting thing. See, they lacked humility. They didn't have grace. They did not enjoy love, God's love. For that reason, we have to be so careful that we do not use beautiful, marvelous things from God to prevent people from having access to the God of all grace. So faithful to some tradition, to some interpretation of the law, to some burden that we place upon people because of religious conditions. Where are these people? Well, he goes on to say, where is the disputer? And oh, they had so many of these debaters in Corinth. Susitetes is a learned dis disputant, especially a sophist, or a person who is into a theoretical instead of a practical understanding. Vincent says it refers to Grecian sophistical reasoners, while the word scribed refers to rabbinical hair splitters. So you have your two groups, your hair splitters and... Those who reason everything out to the last degree of sense. These two groups, the hair splitters that will argue over everything, and the reasoners who never let you off the hook. But you think with me, the very thing that these wise men with human wisdom, those who are filled with oratory, the tremendous ability to debate with a strong, powerful vocabulary and much human reasoning, these that were able to split hairs down to the decimal point, they did not want some preacher to come on the scene. Here you are in this 
huge city of its day, and they did not want someone to come on the scene and say simply, Jesus Christ died for you on the cross, was buried and rose again, went to heaven, is coming back, and if you believe upon him, you may be saved, and if you reject him, you'll go to hell. That outraged them. What an insult to their intellect. What an infringement upon their intelligence. What a repudiation of their knowledge. I mean, here's somebody coming into it. We've studied for hours. We're educated. We're even up on religion. And somebody comes in and, and forgets all of that and says, there's a cross that Jesus Christ died on and shed his blood and was buried and rose again went to heaven's coming back. And you must believe on that or you will not be saved. What? Can you see why they despised and hated the Apostle Paul? Well, I've got news for you. The people in any community, as a rule, do not want to hear that message. You think it over. You've got a man that's a professional man. You say, can I see you a minute? Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, was buried and rose again, went to heaven, is coming back. But by grace you can be saved. Uh, are you sure you're going to heaven when you die? That doesn't. For a man who is a college graduate or who is very smart and bright and has a skillful trade, unless God is dealing with him, unless he had influence from his parents, if he's been influenced solely by this world, he's not going to appreciate the time you're taking from him, is he? But remember this, you can always say God gives you two different promises. <laughs> Your sins are forgiven. They're not forgiven yet, but they're paid for. And if you believe on Jesus, your sins can be forgiven. And your name is Mr. Mr. Swartz. Mr. Swartz, and you are promised by God says, I promise you, Mr. Swartz, you will have eternal life. So he's not impressed by that. He says, I don't want to hear it. I don't believe that way. Then Mr. Swartz, I'm going to leave in just a moment. But before I leave, God promises you, Mr. Swartz, that you die and perish in hell forever. Thank you for the time. <laughs> if he's really big, say the last sentence very sweetly on your way, leaving him. <laughs> you see? It makes quite a difference when a promise is involved. And if they'll understand that God promises them by name one of two things, they might be interested in what God promises them. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com. First Corinthians 10.13 There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? 
Now this particular scripture has been a comfort to many a woman of God, many a man of God, in terrible times of crushing pressure, when situations seem impossible, when despair seems like the only option, when, um, when it seems like you're all alone, when the problems have welled up and built up to the point where there seems to be no way out, um, when you've been abandoned by those you love, when people have betrayed you, who were your friends, and uh, people you thought you could trust, many of these things. You see in the, in the scripture that the onus of responsibility is on God, isn't it? And he doesn't promise us that we won't be in hard situations. As a matter of fact, embedded in this promise is that we will be in hard situations, that we may very well be in hard situations. That, that all that we've seen and has been built up by, as sight around us can crumble away and leave us in a place where it's just us and God. <laughs> in times of pressure, we have two ways to go. There's idolatry. And idols are just waiting. They're just waiting. Our flesh, it, it um, cleaves to the dust. It gravitates towards the dust. The world is always calling with pleasures and sublimations from every billboard and every liquor store. <laughs> and Satan himself comes and, and gives accusations, our three enemies, saying, oh, well, God has forgotten about you. Well, look, God isn't as faithful, faithful as you thought he would be. Look, you believed him for this, and look, it didn't happen. And it's not going to happen. And uh, you're all alone. But the wonderful thing is, is that we're never alone. Never, ever alone. And it, and it brings, and the beautiful thing is that I speak to wise men, judge ye what I say, the cup of blessings which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And this is one of, and one of the things when we, the reason we take communion, one of the reasons to remember is the very, when we drink the cup, when we drink it, it goes, the, the wine that's in there, the, the grape juice that's in there, goes into our bodies and becomes part of us. The communion of the bread, it's broken and it becomes part of us when we eat it. And every word of God and every situation that we go through, God himself has made us into new creatures in Christ. We are not, we don't really know who we are, but we're born from above. We're children of the King. Our life is eternal life. And all of these perspectives come together when we know who we are in Jesus Christ. When, we, when idolatry will, is there, when there is pressure to give a release that's, that's um, outside of the intimacy with our Savior, and when we go through it, and when we, when we seek out the face of Jesus Christ, and we, and we learn that no matter what the pressure may be, that He's there. And this book, this book, when we read it and when we, and when we meditate on it, 
and God himself when we pray and we get together in groups like this and we go to church and we go out and evangelize and the very words that come out of our mouth surprise us because God has made himself a part of us. He's made himself a part of us. And when we get through the pressurized time, it's amazing. Sometimes those times can come back again and those temptations can come back again. And we can shrug them off and know exactly what they are and rebuke the atmosphere because God has grown us up through the situation. There is always a way of escape. Always. It's just one thought away. It's just, it's just God is right there waiting. And sometimes, sometimes, it doesn't seem to pass easily. Sometimes, this, this way of escape seems invisible. You can't find it. As you're, you're feeling around in, the, in a dark room for the way out. But there always is one. And as we draw near and we believe the precious promises that God has given us, and they are at our fingertips, we, we meditate on them and we look at them so that when the pressures come, there are promises there that we can find them. There's a little mark in our Bible where they are. They're in, they've been imparted to us through the messages. And we believe them and we mix faith with them. It's amazing how God does make a way of escape and how we go from having nothing to being blessed beyond what we could imagine. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com Well, there you have it. Three promises. There will always be the way of escape for the believer. There's the promise of eternal life for those who have not yet believed. If you would receive him as Savior, he will take you and make you his. And the promise of eternal separation from God. If we go through life and reject that free gift of salvation that he's given. So you have a choice today. There's a promise there for you. Which one will it be?